Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Suave. Been in my back for a while, I'm invincible Story of a young boss, grinding shit critical Calling on my bros one time, cause you special I had some hood dreams of right rounds for my mentor Every target that I shoot is on point like a pencil Different road change relationships, I'm so sorry Came up from the trenches and I made it, I say hardly Bet Online is your number one source for all of your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs. Bet Online is your sports intel headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs. From basketball, MLB, NHL, hockey, golf, to UFC, and boxing. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games, available to play right from your home. Get into the action today, so head to the website or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Alrighty, guys, we are back with another episode of the What's in Your Bag podcast presented by Bet Online. I'm your host, Andrew Robinson. And before we introduce our guest, gotta handle some business as always, man. If you guys are liking it, I mean, excuse me, if you guys are watching this podcast on YouTube, make sure you guys are liking, leaving a comment, subscribing. It goes a long way. We're almost at 8,000 subscribers on YouTube, man. So just want to thank you to you guys for running that up, showing us love. If you watch this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, give us a five star rating. It goes a long, long way. That was my guy, Pull Up Tay, on the intro. It's going to be him again on the outro. He just dropped the album, so go ahead and run that up. One of the hottest up-and-coming artists out of the DMV, guys. Again, thanks to everybody who's been tuning in. Really appreciate you guys, man. But it's not about me, you know, on the What's In Your Bad podcast. Always about our guests. And today, we are joined by a guy who just finished up his first season out in Japan, the Chiba Jets. Guy who's very well-traveled through the NBA with the Orlando Magic, Australia, out of a... Uh, Northwestern, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Wildcats had a great season this year. So it's fine as Vic Law. What's up, my boy? What's up, brother? Appreciate you for having me. No doubt, man. Thank you for coming on, man. Shoot. Uh, man, I'm, I'm glad we, got, we, we can finally make this happen, man. Shoot, it's crazy how how things happen, man. It's a small, small world. Met my guy out in Absolutely. Tokyo. Met my guy out in Tokyo earlier this year, man. And um, just, just bonded right away, man, over this common experiences being back in and um, being out here in Japan, playing stuff like that, man. So... We got a bunch to get into. We're going to discuss the, the, the season out here in Japan with Chiba, obviously. But um, before we get into that, man, I kind of want to rewind it a little bit, man. Just kind of tell mm-hmm. you a little bit. Obviously, you know, you're you know born and raised in, in Chicago. You know, one of the one of the the, the just meccas of, of of basketball. You know, I'm I'm a DMV guy. You know, so of course I'm gonna say we got mm-hmm. the best in the country. You know, what I'm saying though, <laughs> obviously we right. know about the Chicago history. So let's talk to me about just growing up in Chicago. How you first got introduced to the game and kind of um just that whole Chicago basketball scene coming up? No, for sure. I uh so I was actually born in Chicago. I went down to Mississippi for a couple of years, was raised, and really got like southern roots. And then came back to Chicago and just growing up, you know, I'm from a big family with four siblings. We all play sports. And I was really multi-sport really until I got to high school. You know, I was football basketball, and I thought football was gonna be my thing. 
And then when I got to high school, basketball kind of took off. But, you know, kind of like my background, you know, like Chicago really breeds like a different type of, of person, I feel like. And it's weird, like, describing this, right? Because I didn't really know, I didn't notice it until I left Chicago. Mm-hmm. That, like, so much of the stuff that I felt was normal or, like, the mindset that was ingrained in me was different than how other people think. And I just think that inner city, like, toughness and, like, having to, like, go get it, you know? Because I, I was in the city and moved to the suburbs and from South Holland, Illinois. But when I played basketball, I was always in the city and play with those dudes that that felt like if they didn't make it in basketball, they wasn't doing nothing. You know, they either got the college scholarship or they were selling drugs. Like that, that, that was the the give or take, you know. And getting to see that firsthand and like going into that culture, I felt like really kind of molded me into the type of player I am now. That's tough. That's tough, man. Obviously, you know, you went to St. Rita's um in the in the in the mm-hmm. cyber school, um, the Catholic League in Chicago. Man, I know for me, just from outside looking in, you you hear about the you know the Whitney Youngs and the the Simeon in the, in the public school um, area of Chicago. But you just talk about just Chicago basketball, I man. Obviously, you were class of twenty fourteen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was my class too, man. I can remember playing at AAU, playing against Jaleel Okafor and Paul White and mm-hmm. Miles Reynolds and all those guys. I think the next yeah. you played, did you play with Charles Matthews as well at St. Rita's? I did, yeah. You got Charles Matthews, Tyler Hughes was in Chicago, you know, mm-hmm. around that time as well. Yeah. A bunch of guys um, that came up around around our time period, man, that 2014, mm-hmm. 2015 in Chicago. Uh, sure. so talk about your time at St. Rita's and your time just playing um, in Chicago with, with a bunch of guys around that time who, who were kind of coming up. Well, you got to think, bro, like Chicago, when we were in high school, it was like the, the peak of, I want to say, like Chicago basketball. Because you had like back to back to back to back, like, you had Anthony Davis, then you had Jabari Parker, then you had Jaleel Okafor. So you like you just had all this talent like in the city at one time, constantly coming in and out. And so when I was in high school, especially playing at St. Rita, St. Rita's known as a football school. So like I told you, I thought, you know, I'm about to be a dual sport athlete. Like I'm gonna play football and basketball. So it kind of works out perfect that I'm going here and I'm playing both, right? Yep. But I get there and they hire this coach from New York, Gary Caesar, who's a famous basketball coach from New York. And so he gets there and he kind of even like emboldens me and like really validates that now like basketball is your future. Like basketball is going to be for you. And he recruits Charles Matthews, Dominique, his brother. And we get a whole bunch of different players in there. And even a guy that plays in uh, the Japanese league, LJ Peak was in Chicago at the time. Oh man, that's my guy too. That's my guy. Yeah, he went to, he went to Whitney Young. So Playing in Chicago, you know, like every game was uh, a good game. Like it was never a game where you felt like, oh, this is going to be a cakewalk. Like every game you're playing against either people that were super talented or you're playing against the kids that like they felt like it's scrap and claw, press the whole game. Like every game is like their Super Bowl type of game. And so playing in Chicago, getting that like that gritty like feel – that, like I feel like that that that's why like games like that championship series like mean so much to me like those big games where like the, it's crowded like everyone's screaming yelling like those are the games that are the most fun. No facts, man. I'm a, we will definitely go get into that championship series because I'm watching that and that drink was like a like an NBA game in there with all the fans. <laughs> yeah. So definitely going going get into that, man. But you talked about it a little bit, just kind of the guys that have come through Chicago just around when we were in school from the Andy Davis, mm-hmm. Parkers. Um, obviously, Julia Okafor's, but 
even just talking about history, you know, um, in Chicago, man, you got D Rose and was, even now Pat Bev is as as the guy that's I guess was getting forty back in high school, which is crazy to think about. Right. He's a, a defensive guy, man. <laughs> but um, I mean, there's been Dwayne Wade, like there's been so many guys. I'll be on forever. Talking no, for sure. Guys that come to Chicago. So for you, um, you know, when you look at kind of like the fact that you look at back on now, being like, damn, man, like. You know, I really came from Chicago with all these, amongst all these other, you know, legends and great basketball players, man. What does it mean to you to kind of just be from there um, and have, have you know, have your, your, your name, <clears throat> them guys as well, guys who have made it to Chicago? Right. And I think, you know, it's been cool, bro, like, especially having having reached my rookie year, being able to go to the NBA and play in the bubble, like, and still being in, like, and even in, like, a small capacity in that little fraternity, being able to play with those guys and then, get a real up close and personal like connection with them, work out with them, playing open runs with them. Like it's dope. And even though, you know, like you said, you, DMV, like everyone has that own hometown bias. And I'm always gonna say like inner city of Chicago is like where you're gonna see the best basketball. But to me really like, yeah, we have talent. Like we can say we have all these NBA players, but everyone in Chicago has this specific type of mindset, right? And it's so funny to me when I play and I play against these guys, and, you know, I like to talk trash like in the game. Like I'm, I'm definitely gonna talk to you because I consider myself a good defender. So whenever I match up with other teams, best player or whoever, I'm you're gonna hear me the whole time. Like I'm gonna fire you hard, and I'm I'm talking to you the whole time. And so it's always funny though. Everybody wants to be a tough guy nowadays. Like everyone wants to be, like you know, everybody wants everybody thinks that they want to do, they want to get to that point. And being from Chicago is just like. <laughs> We can do this, you know. It's not nothing like it doesn't, bro. Your lock, your locker room right next to mine. We can go ahead and back and do this. Like, and I feel like it's so funny because I know, you know, it's those same guys. It's like, you know, I'll smack the mess out of you, or or like let's fight right here. They ain't never done it before, and it's so funny to be seeing it's the same type of guys or seeing the way they play. Like they not that it, it, it just don't match. And so in my, in my head, like we all see the Patrick Beverly's, and that's like the. That's like the 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 top tier of like I'm Chicago. gonna be a million and like I'm gonna be like Chicago like I'm gonna try and like make you want to fight me every time, but it, it's like I feel like all of us have especially if you play from the city, all of us have that like tough gritty like you gotta earn everything. I'm not switching nothing. Like I got my man, you got your man, and we gonna win. And so like. It's just funny, bro. Then going back and playing like the pros from Chicago or when they all get back together, we all have that same mindset. And it's, I just feel like it's just like such a grinded out, like, man, you know, forget that. We're going to play all ones. <laughs> it's going to be like this type of dog fight a game. So I feel like being from Chicago definitely gives you the right attitude and the toughness to just really never back down to anybody. And I'm blessed to be from Chicago because I think as a basketball player, my best quality is my competitiveness and how like how badly I want to play and like win against anybody. So I you know I think other places have that for sure. I don't think Chicago's intrinsically it's only you know you can only get that in Chicago. But I think being from Chicago, I, I had a first ten experience of of getting punched in the mouth and and definitely getting going out there when guys want it. Oh yeah. That's tough, man. I definitely can relate to that, man. Just like I said, I think the DMV, any of these basketball pockets, man, DMV, New York, Chicago, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's all kind right. of vibe, man. That that junkyard dog mentality and guys that just trying yeah. to get out the mud, you know what I'm saying? But kind of uh, change the gears a little bit, man. So obviously, you go from St. Rita's in Chicago, 
You end up going Northwestern. Talk to me mm-hmm. about the decision, man. Obviously, you decided to stay home, stay in Chicago. Um, what was kind of what kind of went into that thought process? Because from the outside looking in again, and <clears throat> off the chains a little bit this year, because Northwestern was, you know, second in the Big Ten, and you guys went to tournament, right? Too, but Northwestern's not yeah. really a basketball school. Like, no, I never like, know. Yeah, like Northwestern's an academic school. They have a great journalism yeah. program. So. I got to shout out my mm-hmm. guy, Sweeney from Sports Illustrated. That's yeah. my boy, no <laughs> journalism school alum. Um, but talk to me about just that 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 thought making process and like you know I'm a I'm gonna go to Northwestern. Yeah, bro. I think so. When I was getting recruited, like it ended up coming down to Stanford, Northwestern, VCU, and Florida State. And uh, I think my my mom always wanted one of her kids to go to Northwestern. Like, you know, both my parents to be together, like, really played a big part of, like, my decision-making process for college. And uh, I would say my pop, they both wanted good academics and good experience, but my pops is definitely more of the, like, let's look at the basketball. Like, let's look at the basketball schools and try and get you, like, as further ahead of basketball as you can. And my mom was, like, the academic one. Like, we, you know, the ball's going to stop bouncing at some point. You need to get a good education. Like, if you good, you good. Like, they'll find you wherever you are. And, uh, you know, I committed on the 4th of July, and I, I want to say my mom was like, I was ready to commit. And it was coming down between VCU and Northwestern. It was going to be like a 50-50 toss-up. And my mom, as I was about to come down the stairs, my mom, you know, met me, and she was like, all right, now, don't disappoint your mother. And she ain't said nothing else and just walked down the stairs. And we, we both kind of laughed about it. And I think we both knew the decision was made. Like, Northwestern was where they wanted me to be. It was just where my family could see me. You know, they could offer all their support. Like says a great, it's like a great opportunity, like for networking, education, like everything, like for life after basketball. Right. It's just a good opportunity. And when I got there, you know, Northwestern is not known for who. Like Coach Collins got there and like changed the stuff. Like you know, kudos to him, changed how Northwestern was viewed and like really wanted to put his mark and kind of his like emblem on it. But when I got there, man, those first couple of years were definitely. Struggles, bro. We I remember our first year we played that Wisconsin team that went to the final four with Frank Kaminsky, Nigel Hayes, Ronson Koenig, um, yeah, Sam Decker too, right? Guys, Sam Decker, yeah. They had they were loaded, bro. And I remember my, my all my homies and my family like getting together to have a watch. My family came to the game, but all my homies had like a little watch party game, bro. Man, Wisconsin smacked us, bro. It was like at halftime, it was like forty to sixteen. At the end of the game, it might have been like. Like seventy to like forty five, bro. Jeez. And we leave that game, and my mom, you know, my homie texted me, and I ended up having like fifteen. Like I had a decent game, and my homie texted me like, "Hey, bro, don't worry about it. You know, hey, you got yours." And I, I was saying like, "No, nah, nah, bro. Like, I have never lost a game that bad. Like, they, bro, they were toying with us. They would miss a shot, get the rebound, kick it back out. They, they ran like almost like a like a swing flex type offense." So if they if they got the ball, right, they holding it for the whole time. I remember that game in Sicily, bro. Like we were we were scouting them, and our coach is like, Sam Decker can't shoot. Like you can just like he a driver, athletic, can't shoot. Sam Decker was seven for seven that game three. And I was like, bro, this this is this is like that. And that was like my welcome to the Big Ten moment. That was like this is real Big Ten basketball. Yeah, that's crazy, man. So, um. So man, you mentioned going from that, but you guys were able to make the, the tournament while you were there at, at Northwestern. Right. Um, so how how did you guys how were you guys able to kind of turn it around? And I mean, like I said, Northwestern this year was was a very good basketball team for second. Mm-hmm. So you guys kind of were able to kind of start that 
transformation process and making no worse than it is today. So what kind of was that process like trying to turn the program around and turn it into a winning program that could actually compete from a basketball standpoint in the Big Ten? Uh, bro, like, it, honestly, it started with, like, some of the older guys teaching my class. I felt like my class was kind of the, the linchpin of it, kind of trying to, to turn it, like, our guys leading and being the focal points of the team, turning it into the core of the team. But start with the older guys, like, teaching us and trying to, like, really get us into the physicality of the Big Ten. But I think we really just had a really close-knit team, right? Like, we had talent. Don't get me wrong. We had talent. But everybody in the Big Ten has talent. Like, that's not – just gonna separate you. It took a whole lot of buying in, bro, a whole lot of failing, like come together moments where we like knew like, okay, this is this is how we're gonna win. Like this is this is how we do it. And first year we were bad, but at the end, like you could tell we were starting to get better. Second year, we were right, like we should have got NIT vote bid, but we lost and we were like right right outside the NIT. Then that third year we made the tournament. And so it was a steady like increase of getting better and better and better. And it's kind of like sad to say this, but in today's college sports with all the transferring and NIL stuff, it's hard to get that same level of progression, right? Like if you got a talented kid, like he probably won it done. Like he don't really care if the team sucks. Like if he can go, he can go. And I'm not saying like we would have done that, but it was definitely a lot more buy-in. Like we had guys that like, you know, could have transferred, could have said, I want, you know, if, if, if we were in the same situation as today, I feel like it would have been a whole lot more of, like, I want more money. Right. Um, you want me to stay in this? Like, you got to give me, like, a car deal. Like, I want, I want some incentives. Right. But back then, it was just all about, like, we like each other and we're here for this education. And we, we all made, like, a promise to ourselves and we committed, like, we're going to get to the tournament. Like, we're going to be the first ones to get to the tournament. And so it was just so special finally, you know, junior year, finally getting there and hearing our names called, bro, like, that was almost like a – I don't know, bro. It felt like all – like, them, them 80 years of, of everything finally came off our shoulders. Like, yeah, we made it. Like, and it felt like everybody was so happy for it. So it was awesome. That's dope. You mentioned NIL, man. And obviously, you were a top 100 recruit coming out of high school. So mm-hmm. you would have had your options your schools and throwing the bag at you, throwing this and that. Right. You mentioned your parents were also heavily involved in your recruitment process. How do you think you would handle the whole NIL landscape if you were back in it now, right? Do you think that you would have made a different choice? Do you think that um, you would have been somebody who was trying to go and, you know, go to a school where you could make the most money and kind of, you know, stack up a little bit before you started your pro career? Right. You would have handled that whole NIL scene, being a highly talented guy coming out of high school and then having to make a college decision. Bro, that's so tough, right? Because I think anybody given that opportunity, right, You like let's say – the first one was like, look, bro, we'll give you 500000 And Florida State was like, we'll give you a million dollars coming here. It's so tough telling a kid, like, especially a kid, like, middle-class family, if your son can make this much money, like, you've taken that, right? right. And you got to think about the kids now, like, some of the, the marginalized families, like, black or underdeveloped, like, families that's coming up, it's like, we'll give your son, daughter this money. That's a lot, almost like life-changing money to a lot of families. And so it's hard to say, like, nah, like, I'm not, no way, I'm not taking that. Right. You know, like, yeah, of course you're taking, you're taking the money now. Right. So right. I love Northwestern, and Northwestern is always going to have a place in my heart, but when I was coming up, if, like, NIL was a part, that for sure would have taken a huge toll. And I'm even, and it's curious now, like, thinking, like, when we become parents, like, you know, if we're blessed to have kids that are athletes and are good athletes, 
when it comes to the table, like that's definitely a, a talking point, you know? Because who knows what it'll be like by the time if we have kids, what that looks like. But if it, if they're talking about like, yo, Andrew, I want your, you know, we want your son over here, and we can give him a million dollars now. That's almost like take him. Right. <laughs> do you want me? Do you, you might say, do you want me over there too? Like, right. Can I get a plus one? Going. Yeah, <laughs> If you need me on the bench too, coach, I'm there with you. Facts. You know what I'm saying? And so I think my parents did a real good job of like <clears throat> creating this support system for me that was always telling me the truth and giving me what I needed to hear. Like it was never just like lies and telling feeding me BS. Like my parents are very realistic with me and gave me like the honest truth. And so I'm oh I'm blessed that I had a, such a great sports circle. But in saying that, I think, you know, it's School would offer me an NIL and play like you know a couple hundred thousand. It'd be hard to turn that down. Thanks. Even the kids now, like you know, like for example, like Drew Timmy's going back to college. Like who knows if he would have been drafted or not drafted? He probably would have gotten a good shot because his college career. But all the money he's making at Gonzaga, like it's almost dumb to not to like get as much as you can while you're there. Man. Get your master's, like just prepare yourself for like whatever's next. Literally. So. Definitely a whole different ball game, bro. It makes me feel old, like thinking like when we was in college, we couldn't even get bagels or cream cheese, and now like kids Man. are getting hundreds of thousands of dollars. Man, bro, it's something else. Even crazy, even like you mentioned, Drew Timmy, Oscar Sheboy this past year, he won National Player of the Year and came back to Kentucky. They said he got like two million, bro. I'm yeah, like, oh, two million. That's what I'm saying. Like, what kids and are going Kentucky, back? Like, you know what I'm saying? It's Kentucky. This ain't like, yeah, bro. You really, you really having it out there, bro. Like you seen even like the. Women's basketball players, Paige Beckers, Angel Reese, she yeah. got getting a G wagon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, it's really different out here, bro. Like you got for I feel like as a men's player, you gotta know like I'm getting drafted. Right. That to me, look like no matter where I am, if I'm getting a hundred thousand plus plus, I gotta know I'm a lottery picker. Like I'm getting first round. Like I gotta know I'm getting drafted. Because why would I leave before graduating if I'm getting all this money? Like, I have to know for a fact, like, it's guaranteed I'm getting picked. Because if I'm, like, it's, like, maybe undrafted second round, no, nah, I'm, I'm just going back. Sorry. Don't even worry. Don't even worry about it. I'm going back. Hey, I ain't even testing the waters. I ain't even going to test yeah, the waters. Yeah, yeah. I'm, back. <laughs> I'm going back. I'm going back. Don't even worry about me, Coach. I'm coming back. Man, nah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself, bro. I think I think a lot of players can learn from that nowadays, man. It's like, dude is tricking themselves out their position, trying to rush to the league. Or the G League, yeah. and that G League salary don't add up. If no, the G League salary is not the same. If you don't, if you're yeah. not on Super Ten or a two way, that regular G League salary don't add up to what you can make in college. It's not my guy, bro. It just don't. I feel, I really want kids to understand, like you know, a lot of kids will say, like, "Oh, I don't like school. Or school's not for me." Blah blah. College really is and can be like it. Not really is, but it can be some of the best years of your life for if you make it how you want it. If you use it right, right. A lot of kids are, like, so rushed to be, like, I want to be a pro, like, all this stuff. Like you said, if you don't know, like, teams want you and you're not an Exhibit 10 or a 2 way, the G League can really be treacherous. The G League can really be, like, a, a grinded out, every man for himself type of league, bro. Like, my first year when I was in the G League, it's like, five months, bro. That first month, like, before I found my footing was tough because you're in a new situation. You're not making no, like, you're not making no money. It's real, like you making le- like little money, and then like when you play, like the play style is so like everyone trying to get that call up. Like you're not the only one trying to get called up. So like if, if you open and somebody else open, but that person with the ball is shooting, 
<laughs> just know, like, ain't no, like, oh, here's an extra pass, bro. It's a whole lot of gunning going on in the G League. Some teams don't even care about winning. So it's just – it's different sometimes. Like, you definitely got to have a, a, a good amount of mental toughness and belief in yourself if that's the route you're going to take. Legit. Yo, it's so crazy you say that, man, because we had James Palmer on a podcast, like, mm-hmm. play that in Nebraska and did the G League – um the LA Clipper G League and so like now he's over, over yep. in France. And this is literally his quote. James is my man. Oh, wow. I just talked to James today. Yes, sir. That's my guy, man. He's from, he from uh, the, the DMV too, man. He came out the same yeah. time he did. Um, literally, he was like, man, the COVID summer hit. He did the G League for the first two years. He said, COVID, he was like, man, you know how James talked that man, I need some bread. I need some bread. Yeah, 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 yeah. That little 35000 no compare to 120. He's not doing nothing. Yeah, he's not like, doing nothing. And I'm like, man, like, if you think about it, like, I think a lot of guys just think that they're going to go to the G League and, oh, yeah, it's like – And blow up. Yeah, but it's like, man, like, yeah. if you're – I tell people this all the time, bro. Guys come out of college because they're in day number one. It's a lot of politics that go on with the G League. You know, it's a lot. And it's like legitimately – And you probably even you probably even see it more now that your brother really is working with the NBA organization. Yeah, it's like, man, you got agents and all this type of stuff, guys that were drafted that are going to play regardless. If you're not on yeah, the yeah. team – or a two-way, it doesn't make any sense for you to be in the G League. Like, it makes more sense yeah. to receive, make some money, it's going to be untaxed, and you can right. have the opportunity to play, man, because yeah. you got the Exhibit 10s, you got the two-ways. Then you might got the NBA assignment guys. That, that might come down, like, oh, yeah. Rehab injury, oh, yeah, go rehab. Yeah. So it's like, you're yeah. so sporadic. Yeah. I was, yeah. You played in, in Lakeland, and you talked about it a little bit just now, yeah. but just talk about a little bit about – the dynamics of being in the G League and, you know, you were able to eventually sign a two-way with the Magic and stuff, so you were able yeah. to um, you have a little bit more little, more stain in your in your resume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but talking about that G League grind, man, and kind of some of that stuff that really goes on, people who think they're just going to walk into the G League and play 20 minutes a game and stuff like that and not understand that no, that's not happening. That exists. In yeah. the G League. So, let me tell you the whole, the whole process, right? So when I was coming out of college, you know, I had a good amount of buzz around me. You know, my last year, I had bad tendonitis in my knee. And I told, you know, so when we was coming out, like, that last year was the first year you could sign an agent in season. And it wasn't a penalty. And so I was coming out, and I started having bad tendonitis, but I was playing really, really well up until that point. And so agents were hitting up my dad and trying to talk to me and saying, like, if you, if you, like, don't shut it down, you just shut it down and you're ready for, like, workouts and stuff. I told my coach that, and, you know, you know how college coaches are. They were kind of like, play, like, you got to just play, you know. Because at the end of the day, like, everyone got their own individualistic things. Like, right. So I played and didn't play well because I'm on one leg. I went to the, like, went to the, all the draft stuff, went to Portsmouth, went to these different uh, camps, uh, had my workouts, and did well in all workouts. You know, I've had some workouts where I was like, oh, yeah, they don't want me. I did not shoot the ball well here. And then had some workouts like, hey, hey, they they, hey, they need me for real. Right. So it's definitely funny how that slide and CO goes. Go to the draft, go and draft it. And was, you know, super disappointed. But then, you know, immediately got called from teams in Orlando, which is really funny because I felt like I had my worst workout in Orlando. Because when I was in Orlando, I had a workout with almost all point guards. It was like it was like four point guards and a wing, and then me. And so all of our work, all of our stuff was like one on one, full court, one on one. Like, bro, I'm playing against like Jalen Adams. Uh, who else is there? Bonnie's um, from UConn. UConn. Yeah. Okay. 
Jalen Adams, uh, this guard from uh, San Francisco who plays on the Warriors League team now. Um, Ty Jerome, uh, Josh Reeves. It's like all super athletic, like quick people. Ty Jerome and everything like quick. He's like a skill, you know, like bigger point guard. Uh, yeah. yeah, like, bro, I only played point guard in college one year. Like, I'm not a point guard. I'm like a wing. Right. Like, for me, like, I ain't like, you know, making reads off ball screens. Yeah, I'm not doing it yet. You know what I'm saying? And so I would tell my agent, like, yeah, not the match. It's not going to be the match. Right. And it's funny that they were like one of the, yeah, they were the main ones saying, like, not bring him to training camp. Like, we want to give him an honest shot. So I went to training camp, didn't make the team after preseason and all that. Got the exhibit 10, like you said. They were the G League. And, bro, it was so funny to me because in the G League, you know, like, I feel like I'm killing, doing my thing in the preseason. We get to the games and then, then you act two ways. Yep. And we got an assignment guy. And it's like, bro, they're playing no matter what. Right. They can go 0 for 15. They got to play. Like, because right. the main team wants to see them, like, progress. So they got to play. And on top of that, then it's the hierarchy of, like, all right, if they sub out or the other two spots, it's like the Exhibit 10s are going in there. So, like, if you don't got an Exhibit 10 and you're just trying to make the team, like, you got to play so well. And you got to be so mentally, like, sharp. Because when you do get your opportunity, you have to – you've got to nail it. Like, you can't have a bad day. Right. You can for real, but you know what I'm saying? Like, when you get the opportunity, you got to show, oh, like, you know, maybe we need to give – you know, you got to nail it. And so, my first couple games with like, with the Magic, like, I feel like I'm going to play out of position. Now I feel like they don't really know how to use me. And I remember very distinctly, and I feel like this changed my whole career. We play uh, the Canton Charge. And uh, our big man had a really bad game, and our coach was like, F it. Vic go out there at five. We just going to play small. It's my first time for real playing five. And we're playing against Marquise Bolden and Dean Wade. And they they killed us. So we go and film. And, like, my coach is letting me have it. Like, you're not being tough. I need you to just be a role guy. Like, you just need to, like, be a glue guy. You just need to, like, you know, play a role. Like, I don't need you to do that. And it's crazy because I really feel like I'm, like, the best on the team or, like, one of the best on the team. Definitely one of the most talented, without a question. Right. And so, bro, I just challenge him. I'm like, because I, you know, like I said, I'm from Chicago. Like, you're not going to tell me, like, what I am when I'm not. I'm not dumb. Like, I know I'm a circle that fits into a circle. Like, I ain't trying to be no square, trying to be a triangle, bro. I know I know what I am. And so, I, I just, bro, I'm like, I stand up, and I'm not disrespectful to coaches. Like, that's not who I am. I'm just not going to, you know, you're not going to talk to me no just like, what? So, I just tell him, like, bro, no, you know what? You clearly don't know what you got. You could trade me for real, because like at the end of the day, like this, this I'm, I'm better than this. So like, no. And what's crazy is like he got me so hot, bro. And to this day, like Anthony Parker, Johnny Taylor, uh, Tunji at a deep end, like see for she, like my like boys, like Anthony Parker is like a mentor to me, and they see me like fuming leaving the film session. And, like, this is why I like the Magic are, I feel like, are such a top-notch organization. Not many GMs are going, like, Anthony Parker's GM at the team at the time. Him and Tunji Adipe are going to take me into their room and just say, what's wrong? And, bro, I'm cursing them out. I'm, like, letting them have it. Like, you know, like, man, this ain't right, man. F this, F that. And it's like, look, man, calm down. Like, you know, we know you're good. You know, but at the end of the day, like, you know, you know there's a hierarchy. Like, you're a smart dude. Like, you know, like, this is what it is. But when you get to opportunities, like you got to nail it, like you're really gonna gotta do it. And they're like, 
And at the end of the day, they were like, look, if you really think you're a good basketball player, as long if you're making shots, getting steals, rebounding, no one's going to take you out. Like, and so at the end of the day, like, there's a lot of people who go over for five, but then blame the coach saying, like, I ain't getting the right look. I'm not, you're not using me the right way. Like, how am I supposed to get on rhythm? But if you five for five, you probably going to stay out there, right? And so I really just, bro, just put my head down and grinded, like, really just grinded. And from then on, like, I took off. Like, I just saw my play, like, just go up and up and up. And even as an exhibit 10, like, I went to starting lineup, playing third, like, 32 minutes a game, like, really, like, taking off. And that season of G League, I want to say I shot 50, 40, 90. I went from them first, like, six, seven games, like, eight points a game to then averaging 28 and four on 50, 40, 90, making third team all, all G League as a rookie. And getting the two-way, you know, like, it was really, like, a, a really good, like, come-up story and show, like, bro, this is all work. Like, yeah, I'm talented, but this is really all work. I could have just as easily said, like, I'm out. Like, forget this. Like, I don't need this. I'm out. And so, I don't know. That whole Lakeland thing was a blessing, bro, like, being able to play with those guys. I also love that team. Like, I keep in touch with a lot of my teammates. I talk to the old coaches. The coach that I got the argument with, like, I, I would get, a, I would buy him a drink. You know, like, we are super close to a lot of those guys. And I still talk to Anthony Parker and the assistant gym all the time, man. So, Dan, I, I want to kind of expand upon that a little more. You said that, like, that moment kind of changed your career. Just, like, that was kind of like the pivot yeah. point, right? So, sure. my question is, like, what changed? Like, was it <laughs> buying into a role? Was it you saying, like, all right, this is where I can kind of fit into the team? Was it, like, you putting in more work in the gym, just locking into your craft? Was it, like, you playing with more confidence? Was it you changed mm-hmm. position, started playing on the wing a little more? Like, what do you think, what do you think happened in that time to where you were able to kind of see that shift in your game and your trajectory change. For sure. So I think I think the first part, bro, right? I, I'm a firm believer of you're going to play better if you're comfortable. Like, you just naturally going to play better if you're comfortable. And I think just me, like, I'm super fiery and competitive. Like, I'm pretty blunt. Like, I ain't going to hold back. If I, if, I, if I trust you, I trust you. You know, like, I'm not going to lie or nothing. But – after that meeting, like, when I just knew, like, I could, like, really be myself. And, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm, I pretty much cursed them out. And, like, knowing, like, they were like, no, we know you're good. You know, like, just knowing they had my back, kind of. After that, like, knowing I, I, I had to trust I could be kind of comfortable being me. Um, After that, yeah, like, I my, like my work ethic always been good, but I feel like I switched it into a different gear of, like, I'm just rock really about to put my head down and get to work. I'm gonna like grind this out and me and my assistant coach got real close we were hitting the gym training coach all the time bro like late hours we in there working like we in there fixing the mechanics of my jump shot like we working on ball handling just like everything because i've been i'm like i feel like my game is i'm like all around player like i can score really well like my team needs to score i can do that but i'm not gonna say i'm just a scorer right like i'm not someone who just like if i'm not scoring i'm doing nothing else like i'm a two-way player and so like, we just got to work on everything, man. I'm playing my assistant going to one-on-ones like, almost every day. We just, like, grinded. And then, because me and my teammates are so close, like, I'm starting to bring other guys in. And I'm like, yeah, like, we all get – like, we're going to just get better, bro. Like, we all going to grind. So, and, like, every game you would see, the, it just started changing. Like, one game it was 15 points, next game 18 points, like, 20, 26, 28. Like, and then, like, once you start seeing the work, like, build, like, the work should give you confidence, right? You shouldn't get confidence from – the shots like that's cool but the work that you put in should really give you confidence that you can do what you put your mind to 
then when you see work paying off, that just validates it. That's just like, oh yeah, like this is ah, we already knew this. Like we knew like this is what, what we were capable of. And so, bro, it was just so much stuff. Like, and then what really just made me it made me think like, yeah, like I'm I'm on a different, like knowing Garvey, like I'm on a different level. It was when uh we played the best team in the league on Christmas on, on a back-to-back. It was constant hurt. And like I said, I'm kind of an all-around player. But them two games, like I had 40 the first game and then 33 to say, like on back-to-backs against the best team, best defense in the league. And so after them two games, I think my mindset was really just like, it, the sky's the limit. Like I really, you know, we really do this. We knew we did this, but like now we know, like we know. Like, you know, we should never go into a game thinking like, oh, maybe I should have not. Like we, we know whatever decision you make is the right decision. And just that's, I feel like that's how every player should think. But obviously, there's a ton of variables, like your coach, your environment, like, are you happy? Like, are you making shots? Like, a ton of stuff that can go into that. Like, but right now, I'm in just enhancement. It's like, whatever decision I make is the right decision. And I know it's the right decision because I'm putting the work. Like, I watch film. Like, I'm doing the right stuff. Like, so, I don't know, bro. Like, the whole G League season. And that meeting, for sure, turning point. Because, I, like I said, I could have I really just been like, I don't need this. Like, trade me. I quit. Which a lot of people I feel like do nowadays. Like they're like, as soon as something get hard, they're like, I'm leaving, I'm just gonna do something else. And I really I'm proud of myself. I really like got to work. I'm talking about work out in the morning. I'm coming back at 9 p.m. that night. We working out for another hour. Practice the next day. Like I'm we doing it. Like I'm making sure that no one is outworking me. I'm I'm getting in there because I know how good I am. I know where I'm supposed to be. That's amazing, bro. That's amazing, man. I think that that's a testament to just your mindset, your work ethic, and just what it takes to really play at the highest level. You know, you talk about being able to play at the highest level and that work was able to kind of turn into an opportunity where you, you know, talk about you signed two way with the Orlando Magic, eventually get the call up, right? And you you make it to mm-hmm. the league with the Orlando Magic, man. And right. you put the bubble with the team, you're playing mm-hmm. the playoff series in the bubble with the Magic. Yeah. Talk about what it was like just being able to realize that dream, man, and um, actually suit up in the NBA game, play with the Magic, man, just had that moment where all that work, right? You're talking about playing center in the G League and mm. coach like, man, you got to buy into a role and just be a glue guy mm. and turn it around mm. and having to grind through the G League, right? And then you finally make it to that pinnacle, you know, where you reach mm. the goal of making the league. Like, what was that moment like? Mm. And what was that experience like for you? <laughs> Bro, it was awesome, man. Like, <laughs> get in there and, and putting the jersey on and getting my name on the locker. It was awesome. And, it, and the Magic... When I was on the team, even now, like they had a really young team. And so, like, all the guys around my age, so we got, we met pretty cool. Like, I made a, a ton of friends and, like, and it was good dudes, right? And so, we had a lot of shared experiences. We were right around the same age. And so, I felt like when I got there, it was just like an easy transition, right? Like, I feel like I was trying to help. Um, obviously, it was kind of tough, like, trying to carve my way. Because again, the NBA is a very much a what have you done for me lately type of league. Um, and so until I proved to like the coaches and assistant coaches, they're like, oh, you are good. Like it was a, a grind. Really trying to like, you know, get extra work and like allow them to give me their time. But uh, man, that didn't deter me. NBA was incredible, bro. Like being able to get seven on the court with some of those guys, see some of the guys. I got two really good stories that I, that I will share. I got a ton of stories. Two really good ones that I'll share on the pod. First one was we played the Spurs in the preseason. 
And uh, my coach was like, you're going to play this game. And we're doing layup lines, right? Like, I'm in the pack, too. Doing layup lines. And um, for whatever reason, as a kid, LaMarcus Aldridge was always one of my favorite players. Like, when he was on the Blazers, I always thought he was a killer. Like, I, I love that fadeaway, that turnaround. I always saw it, bro. And so I, I make my layup, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going back to the back of the line, taking hands. Aldridge is coming right back at the same time. I, I, you know, most NBA players, like, you don't know how big they are. Yeah. Until you stand, like, right next to him. It's a whole lot of sneaky, tall guys in the NBA. And I don't think Aldridge is a sneaky, tall guy, but, bro, he, like, legit seven feet. Like, really, like, getting right next to him. And uh, it was dope, bro. Like, when I went to the back of the line, like, when I got to half court, he was like, and so we dapped up. And, you know, in my head, that was my first moment. Like, damn, that's the Marcus Aldridge. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it's so funny because I usually don't get like that. But it was just in my head. Like, that moment, I'm like, bro, that was a Marcus Aldridge. Yeah. And so it's funny because even even when I checked in the game, bro, because I think they had uh, – I'm not sure who their center was. But Aldridge was in it. I think on a switch – I I got like I got switched on Aldridge, and he faced up. And he turned to look and he started laughing. I think he was like, "I ain't been alive. I'm not really about to just bury you." And he kicked it back out, bro. And I was laughing with him, just like, yeah, "Go ahead, kick that back out, bro." Because I'm gonna have to foul you. Get down here. <laughs> For sure, gonna have to foul you. Get down here. Good man, right there. So, you look yeah. out, good man. So I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." There you go, pass that back out, LA. <laughs> bro, that was so cool. And then uh, this story is actually wild, bro. So we're playing, and again, in G League. And for everybody listening, and we're playing in G League, this is what you got to do. We went on them classic G League road trips, bro. So we drove to Atlanta, bus to Atlanta, flew to Toronto, economy, flew to Cleveland, drove to D.C., and then drove back down, drove up to North Carolina. On this road trip, bro, like like ten days type 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 deal. We get to North, we get to Greensboro. We play Greensboro. That night, the Magic are like, because I hadn't been called up yet, but I had signed to it. That night, the Magic are like, all right, send Vic tomorrow back to Orlando, because he gonna play. <clears throat> so I been on the long road trip, but the Magic are like, send him down, and we had a, a, a call a assignment guy with us, Melvin Frazier, and so they're like. All right, what time do y'all want him down there? And they're like, on the earliest flight, get him back to Orlando. So, bro, the game finished at like nine. Our flights are like 6 a.m. We get back, go to sleep, wake up. We fly out of uh, Greensboro, I want to say. We got to fly to New York, then back down to Orlando. I don't know why that's the, how the connector flight works. Greensboro. That's right. how we had to do it. Say it again. I said, Greensboro is weird like that, bro. It's always some weird connecting flights. Like Yeah, yeah. So we had to go up and come back down. So let's say, bro, let's say the Magic wanted us there by 11. Right. We get to New York at like 7.30. The flight from New York is at 7.45 to Orlando. So, bro, we land at like 7.38, and the, the gate is on the other side of the airport, bro. It's not like it's not like an easy like. So we get off, bro. We got to, me and Melvin got to sprint through the airport to try and get to our gate. We're like, bro, we're the last two passengers to get on before they close the doors. We finally make it. Get to uh, Orlando. They lost all, like, our bags are, they don't got them. They were still in Greensboro or something, like, they don't got them. So we uh, we called up the lady, because uh, her name was uh, Becky Bonner, who's like the, you know, uh, logistics person for Magic. 
player operations, basically. And so she's like, you know, Vic, you're not going to dress. So I tell her, like, well, I don't got none of my stuff. Like, I don't got nothing. So, like, she was like, all right, well, we'll try to figure something out. Like, NBA teams, you know, huge budget. They usually figure it out. Because I don't got nothing except my basketball shoes, my book bag, for real. Like, I don't got nothing else. She's like, all right, we'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. Whatever. So, uh, like, the plan was I get there and, like, you just learn the offense. Like, you learn the ins and outs. Most usually teams run the same offense, so it's not that hard. I'm also – I ran the, the Princeton in college, so I'm like, I'm like really smart basketball. So, I wouldn't worry about the offense. <laughs> it's like you just learn. Like, it's the first day up. Like, it's happy to have you here, blah, blah, blah. So, we, uh, we land. We rush into the gym because we got to get the shoot around. And so, amongst all this chaos, we get to the gym. And, like, I'm happy to see everybody again from preseason, training camp, everything, trying to dap everybody up. Like, everyone's walking around the, the arena like zombies. And I'm like, bro, what's going on? Bro, everybody, <laughs> you know, anybody showing love? Like, I mean, damn. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get it. But, damn. You know, I thought this was going to be, you know, smooth me coming back. Um, bro, I get to, to Terrence Ross, and he, like, in tears. And I'm like, bro, what is going on with y'all? And he like, bro, Kobe Bryant just died. And I'm like, no, bro. All right, you know, all right, it's a good joke. You know, all right, guys. But, you know, let's go ahead and mess with the rookie on the first day up. He's like, nah, bro, Kobe Bryant just died. And and me or Melbourne didn't know none of that or couldn't get our phones, but we was in such a, like, goose chase, bro, with all the airports running around and stuff. We hadn't heard nothing. So then the coach calls, a, like, an emergency meeting quick and, like, says that everybody's in tears. Now, I'm just so like, bro, like it's so just crazy. Like, what are the odds like that this legend and like this person dies on like a, this crazy helicopter crash? And like today, like, you know, it's just it's just nuts to me. And we were playing the Clippers actually. And the game was supposed to get canceled, but Doc Rivers is the one saying, like, nah, Kobe will want us to play. And so it's it's bro, it's wild. Just that whole day was just like a whole black mark on the day and like the whole year, I feel like. But it's crazy because the coach is like, he sees me there. He's like, you know what, Vic, you're gonna play tonight. And so I'm like, bro, today is just too much for me, man. So I get out there, I play like the last three minutes, um, get a couple of rebounds. But it was, bro, it was nuts. That game too, Kawhi had like 37, and he only missed like two shots. And he put on a clinic, and it was nuts, bro. Like I saw it was nuts. Being that close, to like being on watch and see those guys. Bro, it was crazy. Like, that whole day was crazy, bro. Man, that's a hell of a story, man. Like, first of all, just the range of emotions going from scrambling through the airport to figuring out Kobe passed. Obviously, it's like, oh, you're not going to play. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you're going to play. Like, now you're going to play. Yeah. Crazy having to just flip that switch, man. Like, when you look back on, like, that that day, man, you suiting up and stuff like that, like, what was the pulse around the team trying to prepare for a game, man? Like, the other guys in the locker room after having that news, I know – as a fan, I'm watching. I'm like, man, Madden having to play a game right now, man. You see the the montage. They showing dudes in tears, trying to like, trying yeah, to on the bench. Like, what what was the morale around the team? How did you guys kind of prepare for that game? Um, and just what was the vibe of the locker room trying to actually go out there and prepare for an NBA game? Bro, it just felt super low for real. Like it felt like it felt like everyone's big brother just died. Like that's how I felt. Like everyone had a close family or just passed. And so, like I said, like around the league, like a lot of guys, like were like, we don't want to play, and that was even the sentiment on some of the guys on our team, like we don't want to play. Like, 
it would be disrespectful to play. And so, you know, to me, I was just, I, you know, to me, I feel like I ain't have a say. I'm just like, this is crazy, you know. I'm still in shock, really. Like, I'm, I'm just like, what I say really don't matter anyway. You know, I'm, if we play, we play. If we don't, like, we don't. Like, this is nuts. And Doc, I guess, had a meeting with Steve Pepper. was like, I want to play. I think Kobe would have wanted us to play. So, I don't know, bro, but everybody was like, we didn't even really have a proper shoot-around for real because, like, it just – everything was so nuts. Like, and I, I feel like half the organization felt like we weren't going to play. Mm-hmm. So, they didn't even know, should we have this shoot-around? Should we just relax? Like, what's going on? So, I don't even know, man. Like, it was – it was crazy for real. And then kind of going into that time in the bubble – we had uh we had BJ Johnson on the podcast during the bubble mm-hmm. with, with you guys this time talking really? experience. Uh, what was that like with you, for you, man? Just going into that experience in the bubble. Everybody, I feel like I feel like everybody has like two separate experiences with the bubble. Either it was like, oh yeah, like I hated it. It was trash. This and that. Or it was like, mm-hmm. wasn't really that bad. It was like a like a grown man AU tournament type of vibe. Like you know, right. what was your experience like in the bubble? having to go down there and, you know, play, but then having to, you know, the whole world kind of just on pause, you know, while this is happening with the COVID stuff. And then obviously also that was going on with the, you know, Black Lives Matter movement and all that kind of stuff. What was that whole situation like? Were you guys, was that the year that, that um the Bucks set out in the, a game? Was that, yeah, was that, yeah. That was against us. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that was against us. <laughs> we, went out, we went out to warm up and they didn't even come out. Yeah, bro. What, 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 what? Okay, talk me through that because that is like a wild. I feel like forever just pull up. Yeah. Nobody in the league knew that they were going to do. No that. one knew anything. No one knew anything, bro. So what happened? It was um, bro. So it was like, what was that guy's name? Uh, Jacob Blake. <laughs> Jacob Blake. So what happened? Right. It was missed everything, and um, a lot. I I guess the, the Bucks and a lot of the other prominent figures around the Milwaukee area were like. Are y'all going to say anything? Are y'all going to stand up for this? And uh, it was game – I forget if it was game two or game three, but they just didn't show up, bro. Like, we go out there. Listen, I'm just like, this, this is nothing. <laughs> nothing to anybody. Bro, so we go out there, and we're warming up. We're doing our whole routine, bro. And I was supposed to play this game, so I'm, I'm doing a lot of, like, shooting routine with my coach. Dead sweat, bro. Like, everyone's, like, getting ready for the game. And uh, NBA officials come out basically, like, Cause they don't come out like nobody says nothing until like five minutes off on the on the game clock for the game to start. NBA fans come out and they're like, "Yeah, the Bucks aren't going to play today." And so our immediate reaction was like, "Is this going to be a forfeit? Like, what's going to happen?" Right. <laughs> yeah. And so they were like, "No, nah, we're going to figure it all out." And the bubble was was ba- the bubble was basically hoops in your room, golf, and meetings, bro. There were so many NBA and NBA meetings and stuff about. Because <laughs> people didn't think that the season was going to go on, right? Because everyone was thinking, like, because a new CBA needed to be signed or postponed or, like, something, a new agreement needed to be made. Um, there's already been a new CBA this year, too, which is going to be crazy. Like, I think a lot of people aren't really um, are underrating how big this new CBA is going to change things. But um, when I was in the bubble, CBA was all like, the only – were mad because all these games have been canceled because COVID, right? Like, nobody was prepared for COVID. Right. COVID kind of messed up everything for a lot of people. And so, when all the games got canceled, the owners, like, they didn't find the players, but, like, they withheld from the salary, for real. 
So when the bubble happened, like there was supposed to be some agreement, like where the players get some of their money back, two ways, and all of these verses got screwed over. Like they were like, "Y'all get to go. <laughs> if we owe y'all money, like y'all are gonna just get this like fixed rate of money, even if we owe you more, like whatever." Usually, it's just fixed rate. Yeah. And so, I wasn't really stressing about the money, but like that was just like the state of the NBA. And so, uh, most of the meetings, it was like, "Do y'all want to continue to play, or do y'all just want to end it right here?" And so when the Bucks sat out, that was the biggest meeting. Like, they came in and they were like, do y'all just want to cancel this whole bubble thing? Or do you want to play? Like, are you, are you willing to continue? And a lot of people were just like, yeah, no, you can have the team. Bro, half the team was like, cancel it. Like, we don't want to, we don't want to be in this. Another half was like, no, nah, we want to play. Like, we still want to win the championship. So I remember we went around, like, all the teams in a circle. We went around, they were, like, talk to your teams in, like, small groups and vote if you want to play or not. And, bro, it's so funny. Some teams are like, no. Some teams are like, yeah. Like, the Lakers say no. And then the Portland Trailblazers right. are like, yeah, we want to yeah, we want to play. And then LeBron stands up and he's like, oh, man, no, nah, hell no. Because if, if he was like, because <laughs> <laughs> he's like, Y'all just not gonna get the win if we don't play, you know. Because <coughs> Portland's like, we'll keep playing. Like they don't want to play. Well, okay, we'll move on. Right. The problem, like, man, no, 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 no way. Basically, like if we stop, like everybody got to stop. Right. That's kind of the tone of how he's saying it. Like if we stop, everyone's stopping. Because the Bucks said no. The Clippers were like, we don't got to play. I want to say the Nuggets say yes. Um, we're going around. I, don't, I forget what the Celtics said. But like, we're going around, and everyone was kind of talking about it. And it was just weird. And then, like, the lady talking about, all right, if y'all don't play, this is how much money y'all are going to lose. Just going to let that out. Right now, y'all are losing this much money. And so then it turned into a whole other argument, bro. I mean, it was like three hours, bro. To the whole other argument, like, some of the older veterans, like the smarter guys, like J.R. Smith, Melo, put up, um, David Lillard. Some of the older guys were like, look, a lot of us older veterans, it don't matter if we don't play because, like, we got money. Like, we we got our stuff saved up. We got passive income. But, like, the one-year deal guys, the vet minimum, the rookies, the two ways, like, y'all are really going to get fucked by right. this if, if we stop. So, like, we should figure it out. Like, we should, like, we can't be selfish and just say, yeah, we're not going to play. And then leave out, like, you know, if NBA team 15 people, the – the, the, the bottom four, like, really going to get kind of screwed over. So it was like, we don't want to, like, screw over some of our players. So then it became this whole financial thing, bro. And all in all, like, the bubble was cool. Like, it was it was cool that we got to hang by the pool with, like, some of our favorite players and, like, chill. Just like, just like we had a job for real. Because it, it is a job. But you know what I'm saying? Like, we just chilling. Like, we go to work, go back to our room, golf, bowl, pool, eat. Like, you know, you're just seeing everybody. Like, I remember I had two of my uh, graduate assistants and, G- and managers from Northwestern were working with the NBA, helping in the bubble. And the teams were split up in, like, three different resorts. And so we were in the middle resort. My friends were at the top resort. And there was this really good Mexican restaurant there that a lot of people went to on the water. And so we went one day just to catch up and, like, laugh and joke about, like, look at us. Like, who would have thought we would have been here? And, like, Kawhi and Paul George are, like, at the table, like, right next to us, bro. And it's just, like, we're laughing, like, this, this is so – like, what other 
environment are you gonna get stuff like this, right? It was just cool, like being out there and like hanging out and then playing, like, right? Like, I got some of my best NBA experience in the bubble. I got to play in games, like, I played in two playoff games, you know, like, it's just cool being able to play and like do stuff. That's dope, man. But all in all, it was some cons now, like, we were hooping and then going in our room for like, it almost felt like you were like quarantined for a little bit. So, you know, we were there for like two and a half, three months, bro. That was a long time. That's hectic. That's hectic, man. Um, I'm going to come back to this a little later, man, but I want to kind of switch gears a little bit. And after the bubble, you kind of go and you play in the NBL, you know, and again, like from a, a pro hooper standpoint, from outside looking in, man, I look at the NBL. We had one of my homies. I, I think, you know, uh, Justin Robertson that played. Um, yeah. Tech. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we had a podcast a couple, couple months ago, man, he played in Australia this year um, for Adelaide. Tour meniscus. Yeah, tour meniscus. So he didn't, he didn't end up getting, getting the play for Illawarra, bro. Oh, Illawarra, I'm tripping. I, look, I, look I, at I, this. I, I That's crazy. Like, yeah, yeah. You know what's crazy? My homie's from, from Adelaide, though. My homie's from Quinnipiac. That's why I got confused. But, yeah, okay, so okay. this year. And um, I feel like when I look at the NBL, bro, uh, Justin Simon, another guy, one of my boys, played for Sydney Kings. Mm-hmm. Jalen Adams that went to Bonnie's. He's a Maryland yeah. guy. Played for uh, yeah. Kings last year when they won, won the MVP. And um, I look at the NBL. It's like, bro, it's crazy. Number one, the media coverage that, 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 that the league gets. Um, I think mm-hmm. I feel like they, they do a great job. You got some NBA size arenas. You mentioned Illawarra, yeah. Mellow Ball was over there. Guys, you know, yeah. NBA from the league. Um, just talking about your time in Australia, man. Just like you played two 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 seasons there. What was the experience like over there? What was the basketball like over there? Um, did you get that whole just experience playing in, in the NBL? The NBL was a really good experience. I think the NBL is a good league. Like I think it really has a lot of good players. They just can't pay any money. Because the NBL has uh, such a, a stringent salary cap. Like the NBL, I want to say the LNB Frenches League, next year is going to have a salary cap because of Monaco. Oh. And uh, the NBA have a salary cap. I yeah. Never, never the L- France, I was, I was following the Eurobasket uh, page and they just wrote an article about <clears throat> how French teams were complaining that Monaco was paying, like, they had an unfair advantage because they can pay way more money than other people. Right, and so that they're implementing a salary cap for next season. Um, oh, bro, I thought the NBL was, like they can't. That's crazy, man. Asvel, you got Asvel over there. You got no, Paris, no. Paris basketball. Yeah, they got money over there. It's like my complaining about Monaco. That's that's the word for another day. But you know, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, like the NBL is a really good league, right? The NBL has a ton of pros. Yeah, like you're in basically America. Like you're in a very laid back tropical version of America. People speak English. Like a lot of their stuff is similar to America. So like you can be very comfortable there. Um, the season only like five and a half, six months bro. You only play 30 games. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, if you come from Europe, college, like it's not as difficult as like some of these other Japan. It's not as difficult as like playing here where you play forever. Nice. Uh, they pay on time, like, and the hoop's good. So like there's a ton of pros. <laughs> the cons being you can't really make that much money. Uh, but in terms of, like, talent, the NBL does do a good job of, like, getting good players and trying to find, like, people that want to be in Australia, that want to, like, like it there. Because, like, you can really get comfortable there. And, like, you still make good money. It's just, like, it's not as much as you can make other places. Um, the, the thing I think Australia lacks, though, I think Australia is still in this, like, early phases of growth. And I think Australia still needs to do a lot of stuff, like, in terms of, like, resources and stuff for certain teams. 
like when I was on the Brisbane Bullets, like bro, our trainer was part time, so like we barely saw him. And so like it's still growing. Like I think maybe it was good. It's just it, it's still you know it's growing. Yep. Now from I want on an off the court perspective, how would you compare the NBL to uh, playing in Japan and living in Japan? Because John Mooney was also in in Australia before, right? Last year. Yeah, and Perth. Yep, yep. You guys both came over to, to Japan this year with, with Chiba. But how would you compare? Cause John was actually in Chiba last year too. John was in uh, Perth two years ago. Oh, so this is John's second season with Chiba. Okay, bet, bet. So how would you compare? Like, um, I guess both on and off the court, like Australia to Japan from a basketball perspective, and then from a living perspective also. Because I feel like Australia is a place where, like you said. I never hear any complaints about off the court life in Australia. People enjoy it there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of similar vibes in here in Japan. People always say, you know, the money's on time. You know, people are are kind and stuff like that. So, how would you compare just the experiences in the NBL compared to uh, playing in Japan? Uh, I think the NBL is cool, man. Like, it's definitely way more laid back, and I would say more things to do there, just because there's no language barrier, and more things are westernized there. You know, obviously in Asia it's different. Like, you're in the East here. You know, um, you have to deal with Eastern culture. But, like, in Australia, you know, it's just much more stuff is, like, comparable to what you're used to. Right. And so it's a very easy transition. Um, practice is pretty light for the most part. Some teams practice really hard, but <clears throat> the teams I've been on is not, like, crazy. Um, you go get good hoop. Teammates are cool. And I'm not saying teammates are cool in Japan. It's just you're playing 60, 60 to 65 games, so – it's a whole different ball game. The language barrier. If you're not near a big city, it can kind of get tough from what I've heard. Because, yeah. like, people really won't speak English or they're, like, in Japan, people are shy. And so they won't, like, try to, like, yeah. come outside their comfort zone to help. Um, Just, like, I don't know. Just when I look around Japan, I get, it's just different. Like, it's just, like, this, you can just – this not America. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, you look very different, like, looking outside. Damn, yeah, yeah, for real. <laughs> right, like the way, like the way the apartments are set up. If you say the hotel, like the room size, like different stuff, bro. Like it's just different food. So like Australia definitely has some like some perks that like if you're trying to get or show that in America you can be comfortable, you definitely can. Um, but at the end of the day, like you're only there for five months, and so if a person is really trying to like play or like they don't want that much time at home. And, you know, it, it may not be for you. Um, but I enjoy Australia, man. I think Australia is definitely, like, a cool place to be. I think it, it's nice to live there. Uh, definitely a good place I want to visit again. But Japan is just different. Japan is different vibe. Like, being near Tokyo, it's always good that I can go down to Tokyo and see it and stuff. But even the same way, like, it's just different. Like, for example, my PlayStation just broke. I need to, I need to figure out where I can go to fix it. Right. But, like, I'm in Japan. Like, I have no idea. We're gonna fix it, and I'm kind of scared to go to the store and just say like, you know, I have to put in my Google Trends like, like, do you all do you fix PlayStation? Right. You know, like in Australia, you I just know like it says electronic store, and I can go in there and be like, do you all fix PlayStations? No. All right, let me get let me just go to the next place. You know, here it's kind of different. Like I I really don't even know like if a store does electronics until I go in it. Yeah. For real. <laughs> so it's just different, you know. Different stuff, but you get used to it. Like, you know, I, I think Japan's cool. Like, the, the play style is different. I think in Australia, the, the speed of the game is much faster. Um, the physicality from top to bottom is more in Australia. 
But just from a big standpoint, it's better. It's more physical here. And I think that's just because Australian people are bigger than Japanese people. Right, right, right. I um and I, in Australia, you can play all your Americans at once. Like you don't have to do the two and one out rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely tough, man. Uh, I had that same issue, man. My my Mac, my Mac to this day, bro. Like it, <laughs> it's um, it's like it's like I guess it overcharged. It's my battery is like full. Right. If I don't pl- have it plugged in, it might die. So I'm like, damn, I gotta take it to the Apple Store. Well, number one, it's no Apple Store in Okayama, Number one. And then right. was, and if I take it to the Apple store, I gotta be like, how do I even explain what's going on? Cause it's not broken. My computer's mm. not broken, but it's like right. That's my how do you say what's wrong with it? Yeah. So I'm I'm it's to be determined on that one, man. But you know, finally getting into the present day, man. This year, <laughs> Tiba was an absolutely, you know, historic season. You guys set the record for, you know, win percentage. I think total wins in the B League, win streak. You guys won 24 games in a row. Right. You know, won the mm-hmm. Emperor's Cup, like I mean, you guys had a, a record-setting season um, this year. Absolutely. With you guys just finished up the, um, you know, the, the the championship season. You guys ended up losing to Okinawa. But you talk about this season, um, you know, what you guys were able to do. How do you reflect on it, you know, given what you guys were able to achieve? Um, you know, what do you kind of take away from your first season in, in Japan, looking back on it? Man, like, I didn't know what to expect from coming here, right? Like, I thought – it's cool coming to a different country. This is the only my like my <clears throat> first real season overseas. I said Australia, like same language. <clears throat> Most of the food's the same. Like you don't really gotta deal with some of the problems other people deal with. So <clears throat> I felt like um I was kind of you know interested to see how it would go. <clears throat> Man. But uh, coming here, <clears throat> my team was real accommodating of everything. Like, we became real tight-knit. Like you said, everything just kind of, like, fell into place, right? We started winning. Once we clicked and got that chemistry, like, I felt like <clears throat> we kind of knew we were the most talented team. And not only talented, but I feel like we were tough. We faced a lot of adversity, like, ton of people got hurt. And even with the injuries, you're still able to win and, like, find ways to win. Even though it didn't end the way we wanted, like, there was still a ton of positive growth that we could take from season, learning lessons. It's my first year in Japan. Like, I feel like I got to learn and see a lot that would prepare me for, you know, if I'm staying in Japan, like, what's next? So I definitely feel like it, it'll be a blessing for whatever is going to come next. Yeah. Now, on this championship series, man, actually, I, I was able to watch a little bit of it. Um, you hit an absolutely crazy step back three uh, from the left wing to send, send game one in the overtime. Walk me through that play, man. Just like obviously you guys, you know, were down by two. They go to the line, make one or two. I think you guys call timeout and get the inbounder. So, did you guys draw that play up for you to, to, to take the shot? And then what's going through your mind? Like, I, I, I'm gonna get to this certain move. Like, you know what you're gonna do when you got the ball. Just you know, walk me through that that play. So yeah, the play was for me. Really, just a, a simple zipper cut for me to go up and get it, and then like make a play. And I asked my coach, like, "Do you want me to take a two, or is it a three? They were like, "Yeah, now go ahead and shoot that three. Go ahead and we we want it all. Like we ain't trying to just play the free throw game." So, I think I really just wanted to switch with number nine. Like they had one of the bench guys in, and uh, I'm not. I don't think he's a bad defender. I just think like if, if we wanted to match up with anybody, like that's who we wanted. 
So we went to switch. And once I got it, honestly, I don't know. I wasn't really trying to mess around with it. I was just trying to like shoot it with enough time that we get a rebound if I miss, like get the foul. And so I don't really think I was like thinking like step back, but he was just so close to me still, even when I drove left. I was like, I'm gonna have to get a little bit further away from him to get this shot off. And I think right when I like when it left my hand, I I, I knew like we all know like when we shoot one. If it leaves your hand the right way, you're like, oh yeah, that's that's it. And I knew that one like I straight out the hand. I was like, oh, that was good. So it was a great feeling. I'm happy it went in. Kind of unfortunate that you know, I really feel like when we when we got that, and then we got them to turn the ball over at the end of the first overtime, first or at the end of regulation. Oh, we got the momentum. Like we got it. Like they're deflated. Right. <laughs> Kudos to them. I mean they. Take care of business, you know. They they uh weathered the storm, you know. They kept you know kept uh scoring, kept getting stops. So, but man, I was just hoping like you know once we go to overtime, like this a whole different game because we've all had those games where we've had to lead, and if they tie it by overtime, you're like, bro, I'm exhausted. Damn, bro, we were supposed to finish this in fourth. Like, we were, they were not supposed to tie this game, and so I felt like I was hoping like, man, it was gonna be that kind of like thing. But you know, you let me learn, bro. Like. Learning experiences. Um, again, I'm super proud of, of how we how we played and the things we did. Talk about that environment, man, because I'm watching the game and that joint is like sold out, rocking in there. Mm-hmm. Like the arena is crazy. Um, talk about the energy that was just around that game. I mean, I'm watching y'all games all year, and bro, y'all have amazing fans. I have an amazing atmosphere. Yeah, I live B1 games, even in Okinawa. Like, bro, the Okinawa, they have an NBA arena down there, bro. It's like mm-hmm. Ridiculous. The fans come out every game. Yeah. You know, fans really love, you know, sports here and love basketball here and they love, you know, to like, support their team. But just talk about the energy uh competing in that championship series. You know, what it was like, you know, playing in, in a game like that with all the, you know, media attention and stuff like that. Just, you know, what mm-hmm. was it like, you know, as a player? <laughs> it was dope, bro. Like going down there, the Oklahoma Arena is a very nice arena. Um, but just seeing like the Chiba's fans are great. Chiba, I feel like Chiba has one of the best fan bases in all the B League. And I feel like everybody, and I mean everybody was at this hotel. Cause we just had a hotel right by the arena. Mm. And I feel like us, Okinawa, Okinawa's fans, Chiba fans, everybody was at this hotel. And so it felt like, you know, you were just getting mobbed by people, pictures, can you sign this, everything, every time you stepped in. And so it was dope, like, seeing all the energy around the game. And even that first game, like, just walking out and seeing the whole presentation and stuff, which is, like, it just gave you chills, right? And especially for me, like, it's my first championship series. Like, seeing seeing that, like, it makes you really make you want to be, like, I want to be at this. I want to get to this every year. Right. Um, but it was cool, bro. Like, half the arena was red, half the arena was white, broken now. So it was cool, bro. Like, I definitely wish we could have given our fans the product they wanted, but I'm super happy that they came out and showed the love that it did. So how do you kind of, where are you leaving now? Do you think Japan is some place you would want to come back to? Or you think like you might try to get back to the year? I feel like this is a question I always ask the guys, man. Um, obviously a guy like yourself, right, who's played in the NBA, you, you've reached the pinnacle of basketball, right? I feel like it's always a thing where like, all right, well, do I chase the league again? Do I want to give that another another shot? I'm, I'm 26, you know, right now. So it's like, all right, you know, as you're getting older, right, there's a window of like where you can kind right. of leave, where you can get in and where it's kind of, all right, man, I might got to <laughs> you know, yeah, figure it out and figure mm-hmm. that out. Right. So 
you know, where are you at with that? Are you a guy who's trying to get back to the NBA and like, you know, make that push? Are you a guy who's like, you know what? I know I can make a lot of money out here in Japan. I play on a great team. Uh, I want to kind of give it a, another run. Like, you know, where are you at with, you know, that, right? Are you trying to like get back to Europe? Because I know Europe and playing like EuroLeague and is a completely different ball game than playing in Asia as far as the just the mm-hmm. demand, the travel, the culture, yeah. basketball grind, right? Like, you know, where are you at mentally from that standpoint in, I guess, that next step in your career? Well, I ain't never played in Europe. You know, I went from the NBA to Australia to Asia. Right. And so even when I was in Australia, like, a couple of Euro, a couple of Euro League and Euro Cup teams tried to buy me out. But I said no. And everybody got their own, like, horror story with Europe. Like, I think like, a lot of guys have their, like, well, Europe ain't it. Like, Europe is just, unless you really are built for Europe, it's not it. And so I haven't done Europe yet. And a part of me, like, wants to, to go to Europe and just have, like, in my mind, I know I can, like, dominate Europe. But I don't know, man. I really like Japan. Like, I like Japan. I like the, the ball. You know, the pay is good. So, you know, we'll see. Like, right now I'm negotiating with a, a ton of different teams. So we'll just see what's next. Like, I'm, right now I'm going to take these next couple of days to just kind of, I guess, enjoy Japan. Like, I kind of want to go to Osaka mm. and travel and, like, see different stuff while I'm here before I leave. That's tough, man. Speaking of travel, man, obviously, you know, we first met in Tokyo. Um, I feel like that's literally my favorite city in the world that I've been to. Bro, I've been to Milan. Mm-hmm. I've been to Lisbon. Obviously, I've been all over the states, you know, L.A., New York, D.C. Um, what has been your favorite thing that you've done while you've been here uh, from, like, a off-the-court perspective? I mean, thing that you visited, tours, attractions. Right. Like, what has been the favorite, your favorite experience um, just being over here, living in Japan, uh, that you've been able to get into? Well, I've never been to Osaka or Okinawa, which are two places that people in Japan talk about all the time. They're like cool places. Um, but my parents came to visit me, and we went to Kyoto together for a game. And just having them in Kyoto and like walking around the like older version of Japan. We went to the Ten Thousand Gates, which was dope. It's like having them here and doing that was cool. I've been to a, like an authentic Japanese market in Akasaka. Um. I don't know that, but like doing different stuff, I, I feel like has been really cool to me. You know, I, I, I'm not. I feel like I could have done more, but um, shopping on the back streets of Harajuku, yes, like I, you know, I, I love it. You know, it's been cool, bro. Where I'm like at Yachio doesn't have a lot, but like going to different places and going to Tokyo, going to um, Kyoto, going to. Sapporo, like seeing all this different culture and seeing all these different stuff has been really great there. So, yo, if you come to Osaka, let me know, bro, because I'm only 40 minutes from the bullet train. I've been to Osaka. No, for sure. Where I'm at, Osaka is sort of like my, like, Tokyo because it's way closer. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. hours for me. So... What are the things doing in Osaka? Bro, so it's, 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 it's tough because when I go to Osaka, it's usually just to go, like, have a good time, bro. So we, I know a bunch of restaurants, right. like that place to go out, have a good time at night, but... Osaka has a bunch of just like, Osaka is like known as the kitchen of Japan, bro. So there's like this one trip, uh, Bori, where it's just a bunch of like just street food, like restaurants, okonomiyaki. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if you, they have like two types of okonomiyaki. They got Osaka okonomiyaki, then they got Hiroshima okonomiyaki. Uh, Hiroshima okonomiyaki is the one that has like more of the noodle base. Um, mm-hmm. And then the Osaka okonomiyaki is like more of a pancake style. Um, mm-hmm. Then they got takoyaki spots down there. <clears throat> Different foods, bro. And like Osaka, 
you know how Tokyo, especially if you're like Harajuku or Shinjuku, like you're right. in like a big city. You got the billboards, the lights. Osaka yeah. has that. Um, but Osaka is also just more of like a traditional, like throwback Japanese city to where it's not it's not like Kyoto, where you have like the shrines and the temples, but like mm-hmm. about the street food and like the the vendors on the street selling like the different uh clothes and garments and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. you kind of get that like Japanese like street, you know, feeling and stuff in Osaka. So it's pretty yeah. experience to walk around, eat the different foods. So it's definitely mm-hmm. dope, bro. Um, you know, it's 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 a cool place to visit, you know, come see for sure. Like I think I'll I'll definitely highly recommend, man. If you get down here, let me know for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um okay. I want to ask you though, because have you ever been to you still, you mentioned Harajuku? Do you do you uh get cut by Tamru? Everybody goes to Tamru mm-hmm. Barbara. Oh man, yeah. yo, everybody they're goes, good. Yeah, it's a bro, it's a black dude from Brooklyn. Like it's a black dude from oh it's uh wait, wait, what's the shop called? Shop Brooklyn. I don't know what it's called, bro. But I know everybody be everybody knows about Tamru. Like, go see Tamru. Like, we went in there. LJ, we see LJ Peak in there getting cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sebastian and Saeed, I think, from uh, Alvar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. was in there. Um, Evan Ravenel plays for the, the Chiba uh, mm-hmm. team. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bro, it's really like you in the States. Like, you go to the shop. You got everybody sitting on the side talking about basketball, debating or whatever. Right, like, right. But he in there cutting with the Yankees fitted and Timberland boots. Like, <laughs> okay, so, yeah. If you if you want to get a cut, bro, I I stop by. You go I can pass you his number, bro. Cause I mean, everybody probably going. Yeah, home. please do, please do. Yeah. Um, I can give you his number, man. Cause he he good people for sure, man. Um, please send me that line. Yeah, I got you, bro. I got you. He he, it's it's, it's it feels like you home for real. like when you step in his shop, okay. man. It's it's, it's good right. vibes and he good people too. Um, sure. But, um, all right, favorite Japanese food and I guess weirdest thing that you've ate being out here in Japan. Uh, my favorite Japanese food is probably yakiniku, and the the weirdest thing I've eaten that I, I still like is either beef heart or beef tongue. Like I'm, I I I don't, I don't know what it is, but I feel like I gotta get it when I go to yakiniku. Like I I like it. I, I gave it to my dad when he came out here. And he was he was one of them dudes. I was like, yeah, you didn't have to tell me what that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, was, he was like he was like it's good. But when I told him, he was like, nah, it wasn't good. I said, nah, never mind, it wasn't good. Oh, no, facts. Bro, when they first when they, <coughs> my teammate did the same thing, like they didn't tell me they bought the whole spread and they didn't even tell yeah. me. So I'm like, all right, it's straight. Like, yeah, that was the heart. Mm. Like, bro, I ate a heart, like, bro. Yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. Wow, man. Now that's I've actually my teammate tried to get me to eat Okinomiyaki because you know, Japanese people don't really do sweet. It's more like savory here. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so he brought me out Okinomiyaki, and I thought it was a pancake. And I'm like, oh yeah, let me. Let me get some of that. And he, I, I, I think he put like, like it looked like mayonnaise or something on it. I'm like, bro, what are you doing? Right, right. And he was like, oh no, no, try it. And he like, he opened it. It had vegetables and stuff in it. I was like, oh no, bro. Let me tell you what. If I thought that was a pancake, and I would have tasted some broccoli or some shit, you know how bad I would have been. Bro, I don't know. It's definitely not sweet, bro. I don't even, I don't even think I'm eating a pancake, bro. I mean, I would have been hot. Nah, for real. So, all right, how do you, how do you, um, what has been the thing you missed the most? Like, uh, like food wise or, <laughs> or being out here in Japan, like, damn, like, I, that, that, that they don't really have, or even if it's not food, like, what's the thing you missed the most, uh, from, from being out here in Japan? As right. Most? I think, um, I cook a lot. I actually do cook a lot. But you know, some days, bro, when you just have a long day, I hate, you know, Uber Eats, bro, ain't really no options, bro. It's all the same stuff. Probably like bento box, ramen, 
um, shrimp tempura. Like, it's, that's it, though. You can't, and the only American option is like McDonald's, Burger King. I don't really like eating fast food, so it's kind of like, dang, I can't, it's like, I can't get no, like, variety. Or if I want food, I got to go to Tokyo. Like, I got to go to 45 minutes to Tokyo. That, I feel like, um, specifically where I'm at, the, uh, it's only one lane creeps. There's mm -hmm. one lane north, one lane south, one lane east. You know, so, like, if somebody's turning right, you're not making the light, bro. Like, you're just not going to make the light. <laughs> you're just sitting there waiting for her. Uh, so that's kind of, that's kind of, uh, you know, always makes me bad. Other than that, bro, everything's pretty smooth. I feel like they've designed stuff in Tokyo to just work, mm. which is cool. I think this is, like, no nothing. But I feel like Japanese people are very, very like, rigid. Like, they, they have to do things a certain way. Right. And if, like, if it, if it is outside of that way, it's kind of like, mm, no, we don't. For example, trying to get a burger, trying to burger this place. And it's like a, a double, it's like a double bacon cheeseburger. And I tell her, all right, uh, just give me a double bacon cheeseburger <clears throat> by itself. And it, it, it comes, it's like a combo. It's like the number like four type thing. She's like, no. I'm like, what you, it's right there. What do you give me? I was like, just give me that. But I don't want, I don't want a combo. No. I said, okay, give me the combo. Don't give me the fries a drink. Okay. <laughs> Bro, it's the same, it's the same <laughs> thing. Like, that doesn't make no like, look, that doesn't make no sense. I understand like the rule would be to, to just get a combo. Yeah. But like if you you, you can just sell me the burger, you know what I'm saying? Right. And it's just weird that people are like, like even at like late at night, like when we come back from road trips, it'll be like midnight, bro. There won't be a car or a biker in sight. If that light is red, they not walking. Like they they are not going, bro. They not. And I and I'll walk and they'll look like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you, I, 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 they'll look like you like like you like bro like murdering somebody. And I think that's so weird. Yo, I'm I'm, I'm sorry. I'm crossing the street, bro. I had the same experience in Osaka, right? So I go to this pancake mm -hmm. spot. It's the one thing I miss the most. It's a couple things. <laughs> Number one is like traditional like American breakfast, like. Yeah. Okay. Have, yeah. Like, if you got like you know you want to get like an omelet or some hash browns, mm -hmm. they don't have that. Yeah. It's like they don't have that. Yeah, no, they don't that, bro. And I'm bro, I, I love like brunch, bro. So I just love like yeah, go to an American spot and get like a brunch, get like some chicken and waffles or whatever like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Hash browns with some sausage gravy right. or something. It's like man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I miss the most. Yeah. So I go to the breakfast right. spot, no soccer, right? And uh, it's like a pancake spot, right? So on the side they do omelets, right? So one omelet, it's 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 like cheese, eggs, and like mushrooms. It's like an egg and mm -hmm. mushroom, cheese omelet. That's it, right? Mm. Other omelet, it's the egg with like ham and like some tomatoes or something like that, right? Then the other mm. omelet, it's like the omelet with salmon and avocado, right? So I'm like, all right, well, I kind of want the one with the peppers and the, the tomatoes or whatever, but I want cheese on it. So I'm like, all right, well, mm -hmm. can you do this omelet add cheese? You're like, uh, no, no. Like, yeah, yeah, I have mushrooms and cheese, so I know you have yeah. almonds with cheese, but I can't. Yeah, so you have the cheese. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, you can't add cheese. So I'm like, damn. Like, like, oh, no, no, no way. No, 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 no. Sorry. And it's crazy because you will see them making it, bro, and you like just add, just put the cheese on it. Right. You just put the cheese. That all you gotta put cheese on. <laughs> bro, they <laughs> have it. That's hilarious, man. That's hilarious, bro. It was. It was no. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Yo, it was funny too, bro. I went back to LA. It's crazy. I went back to LA, right? And you know, one thing I love, love about Japan is there's no tip out here. So you go, right? Whatever the bill is, the bill, bro. That's the bill, I'm yeah. So bad. I went back to LA. My first time eating, but they brought me. You didn't tip? I walked smack out. Like I paid and walked smack out. And it's crazy. Come on the fan phone, FaceTime my boy went back. I was like, yeah, bro, it's got back. You know, LA, I'm like, yo, man, won that back. It was only like, you know, $70, whatever, whatever for lunch. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, like, I'm like, wait. Damn, I did not tip. Like, I was already like 30 minutes away, so I wasn't going back. You know, LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was like, damn. I know she probably looking at me crazy, bro. Oh, no, for sure. She's like, don't come back in there. But in America, it's nuts because, like, the tips, it's like, bro, tips now are like 18%, 20, 25, which is nuts now. Like, it's going to keep going up. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous, bro. And, um, one of, I swear I went to one restaurant in LA. It's Test Test in um, West Hollywood. They were like on the menu. Mm-hmm. It was like so you got gratuity, but they were like okay. Um, we add another I think like five percent for our employees to have um, health insurance. If you would like this fee yeah. to be taken off, like tell us. But if you don't tell us, we're gonna add it. I was like what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I see this five freak. Yeah. I was gonna add another five percent on my joint. Like that's wild. Man, bro. Mm-hmm. We can sit up yeah, here. Money in LA. Man, listen, I hey, listen, bro. I'm like, man, I got, I got, I got to do something. Get a little side hustle to live out here. Today. It's right. like gas expensive, food expensive. Oh yeah, twenty dollars mm-hmm. bar for a little regular cocktail. Twenty one dollars. Yeah, yeah. You breathe, you go out. It's hundred dollars. You, you even. <laughs> yeah, hundred dollars. Um, man, I got. How's your brother like out there? He, bro, he, he, he enjoys it, man. Like, so he's um. So like he's working for the Clippers, so he's kind of like Westchester area. Um, so yeah. he's like five minutes from the facility, right around the corner, mm-hmm. spot right by LAX. But you know how it is. Yes. LAX is kind of like out the way, <clears throat> like you know West Hollywood or uh, wherever you're trying to go, bro. So we got like a Santa Monica, Westwood, anything. Yeah, yeah bro. You gotta drive like thirty minutes. Drive, bro. And even yeah. when I was home, I'm going to play pickup out at this joint. It's called Open Gym Premier. So it's out mm-hmm. in Anaheim, like by uh, Disney. So, oh like, yeah, you really drive it out, man. I got a forty-five minute drive, no traffic, like no traffic. If it's yeah. a traffic, it turns to an hour, hour and a half. Yeah, out. But I mean, he he's enjoying it, man. You know, he out there like he was telling me this crazy story, like you know, he's working with a team, and he's like, um, kind of the same thing what you were saying about when you were um in the bubble. He was like, it was uh Brandon Boston's birthday, mm-hmm. and they had a party for him. The whole team came out, and this is the beginning of the year, so we like John Wall's there, Kawhi's there. Um, yeah, Joel, he like, man, I'm partying with Kawhi and Paul, Joel, and John Wall. Yeah, yeah, we from DC, so like, we we grew up watching John, John Wall. John Wall was like, yeah, guy, bro. He's like, yo, he was like, uh, little baby, uh, song came on. Um, and he was like, him and John Wall rapping the joint together. He was like, man, yeah. like, <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. Like, so he, he he's enjoying it, man. I'm I'm, I'm sensitive. Prisoner right. from my just came back home and tours Patella playing pickup, man. Oh, damn. Trying to get back into it, you know, but yeah. he enjoys it, man. I'm like, listen, I'm about to be out here with you, bro. You know, I I love it out there in LA. Yeah. I think just from a creative standpoint, networking standpoint, I'm going to the games. Oh, yeah. Me, I met the founder of Switch Cultures. I met um the photographer for Clutch Sports, Gradient Visuals, um, just networking. Yeah, like you networking everything, bro. And if you're gonna be in Japan, just like flying in and out, like it's so much easier. I'm like, Listen, I had a 16-hour trip coming from DC. I had a six-hour flight to LA. Then I had yep. over. Then I had an eleven-hour flight. Eleven-hour flight yeah. to Tokyo. Then I had another flight to yeah. Okayama. So it was like a 24-hour travel day from DC yeah, yeah. to Tokyo to Okayama with layover. Right. 
So I left on like a Tuesday. I got to Japan. It was Thursday. Like I lost right. my day, bro. It was a while. So LA coming back it was nine hours. Bro, y'all can do this. Yeah, you can do this. Yeah. <laughs> way easier. Yeah. Bro. Way easier. Quick little flight. Yeah. Movies. Yeah. And um, so I got a few more questions for you, man. Before I, before I let you go, man. Um, for sure. Um, for the for the DMV folks watching this, you know, I know they would be uh, they would be mad at me if I didn't ask you this because, you know, for us, right? You know, Markel Fultz was a guy who was you know number one pick in the draft. Um, mm-hmm. Came out of nowhere, crazy, crazy kind of comeback story from playing freshman in his first year, going to JV his sophomore year, and having two years we kind of just blew up <laughs> the scene. Right, number one pick in the draft, went through all the stuff in Philly, you know, with the shoulder injury, getting traded. Right, and gets to Orlando, and everybody kind of just left, leaving for dead. You know what I'm saying? And right. So for me, obviously now he he's had kind of been able to have a breakout year this past year with the Magic and kind of get back on his feet. Um, and really show guys, you know, flashes of what he, you know, what people thought he was going to be when he came out. You had an opportunity to, to play with him kind of when he was going through all that stuff. Um, right. And though, what can you say just about him as a teammate, um, just being there with him during the under times, like about his work ethic and kind of um, just what was going on at, at that time in Orlando, just trying to find himself again and, and rediscover himself. Um Cause I guess you know, for us, a lot of people back home, you know, are, are so happy to see him kind of just playing well again and stuff like that. But right, it was dark, man, for a little bit. A lot of folks were kind of counting him out, calling him a bust, this and that. Um, so this from your short time that, that that you were there, you know, what can you say just about the time that you were able to spend with him and, and kind of just seeing him as as a teammate? Bro, he was dope, bro. He was my locker buddy. He was right next to me. I felt like he was one of the ones I was like so down to earth. And it could have been because of his experiences, you know. But he definitely was the ones helping, like, bro, me and Raquel got, got real close. Definitely one of the homies. He's the one that got me into 2K real tough. Um, I hadn't really played 2K like that before uh, getting to Orlando. And then I got there, him and some of the other guys, like, played 2K in my park and stuff. He got me into that. But seeing him practicing, like, his work ethic, like, I I felt like – I don't know if it was a surprise, but I felt like – NBA players are so much better than what people think. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if I'm like a downturn or whatever, bro. Like, you let Markel just be in the damage two threes, he'll probably make like 75 to 80 yeah. out of 100, you know, just let him shooting him. But then, like, you go into games and stuff, and there's all this added pressure, like, scout people contesting, whatever. Then when I was there, like, before he got hurt, Markel was, like, killing. You know, he was showing flashes of, like, why he was so highly touted and why everyone wanted him on the team. Like, people are, are crazy if they don't think, like, Organizations don't want a player like him on their team. You know, like that, just at his size and like all the things he can do with the ball is pretty crazy. And he's not a guy that's like, I need to score. You know, like he can score, but he's like, like I feel like in the league now, like even in basketball now, the point guard has like changed. Like it's like a combo guard now. Like it's not like a pass first, like I'm going to set the table guy no more. It's more like if you can't create your own shot and score, and then kind of pass too, you're kind of an afterthought. So I, I feel like it's refreshing, like seeing him, a guy that like wants to set the table and push the pace, and play defense and like be that leader, and then who who can also score and be athletic, like playing. I'm I'm so happy he's like like getting getting back into it and having having the success that we all know he can have. No, that's for sure. I think I think that's kind of the same thing out that I you know feel you know from watching him play, man. Seeing him kind of set the table. Pass mm-hmm. and stuff like that, man. It's a lost art in, in the NBA today for sure. Yeah. Um, 
And one of our segments that we do on this show, kind of play on the name, is called What's in Your Bag. So uh, I'm going to ask you what's in your bag. And this is for a night out, right? So let's say, let's paint the picture, mm-hmm. man. Going to uh, Say La Vie in Tokyo, man. Mm-hmm. What you throwing on? What's what's in your bag, man? Give me the fit. And then, actually, if you had a physical bag, like, what are you throwing in? If you had, like, a tote bag or over the shoulder, mm-hmm. you know, what are you throwing in the bag? Right. What a question. Bro, I'm probably wearing just some regular jeans. Oh, I don't feel like I'm too flashy, bro. I'm probably just wearing some regular Levi jeans, some probably some off-white shoes, a graphic tee, like a nice tee, and the Supreme watch I bought. First of all, stuff in Tokyo is mad cheap. Like, if you go to the, the right bag alley store, you can find you a deal now. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> probably put on. I got to put me on. Put me on. Okay, show me the bro, spot. If you, come back, if you come back out here, bro, I got you. Probably all black shit, bro. Um, I usually don't wear an over-the-shoulder sock. I just got my wallet. The pocket Wi-Fi and uh, my phone keys, bro. Yeah, the pocket Wi-Fi is open now. I got the pocket Wi-Fi. It's yeah. on me. Yeah. It's on me at all times. <laughs> at all times. Uh, well, in my phone, but I, I, I ain't too flashy, bro. I'll be out there just trying to have a good time, just chill out, and relax. Yeah, the pocket Wi-Fi is a gem, man. That's a gem. Um, so man, last question I'll ask you, man. We always end the episode off. Shout out to all the smoke. We still this segment from them, man. But who is one person that we should have on the What's in Your Bag podcast? But whoever you say, you got to give us the assist, man, and, and, and help us get them on. Sure. Um, one person you should have on, bro. Let me, let me try to think. Hey. I think you have my guy, uh, Aubrey Dawkins, on from Central Florida. He played... At a Michigan transfer to Florida, son of a uh, Johnny Dawkins who played in the league, Sir. head coach of UCF. Um, he uh, <laughs> had a kind of a whirlwind career, bro. Playing G League, then went to Turkey, came back and played for G League Ignite. Then has just recently went back to Turkey. So I want to say my boy Aubrey Dawkins definitely has an interesting story and a cool story to tell. Um, played at uh, in that um, that like prep school. Conference with like Brewster, NMH, yep. you know, all, like uh, to you know, yeah, yeah, yeah the, the Nipsack with Brewster, yeah, Tim Nipsack, no football, yeah, 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 yep. yeah, yeah, it's all them, bro. So I feel like he'd be a good one for you. Yo, it's, I feel like it's just such a small world because Aubrey Dawkins played on G League Ignite this year with my boy Cam, uh-huh. who was my teammate, okay, at in college, man. So they were okay. teammates, yeah. I just had Cam on the podcast last week, so definitely love Aubrey, man. If you can give us the assist on that, you know. We love to have I will, bro. Forward, man. Um, now this has been dope, man. This has been a ton of fun. Definitely want to mm-hmm. first of all say thank you, bro, for coming on. Cause I know you 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 battling a sickness, man. So for you to come on the podcast, you know, throughout that is uh definitely something I don't take lightly. I, I want to say thank you for that, you know, for taking the time out. Sure. Um, Thanks for having me, man. No doubt, bro. From the second I met you, man, I could tell you where you were good vibes, man. Good dude. Um, it's been a pleasure to, to be able to watch you, you know, this year in Japan. And uh hopefully you come back, maybe we can kick it a little more. Like I said, if you come down to Osaka, let me know, man. This will pop out on you, man. We can go kick it out there, man. But sure. you know, good luck with the rest of your career, bro. Um, it's been a pleasure. And like I said, man, keep keep doing your thing, bro. Like I said, I know we'll, we'll stay in touch. And um, ho- ho- hopefully I'll be able to see you soon. Absolutely. Stay in touch, bro. I wish you the best of luck on your 3v3, bro. I hope you, you go out there and kill. Show, show what you can do, bro. And uh, enjoy it, for real. Like, I hope you enjoy it, the whole, the whole experience. But I, I, I'm definitely going to try to come to Osaka. If I, if I get down there, I'm hitting you up. Hit me, bro. Hit me, bro, for sure. 
For sure, man. All right, brother. Be easy. All righty, guys. This has been another episode of the What's In Your Bag podcast presented by Bet Online. Like I said in the beginning, man, make sure you guys are liking this podcast, subscribing to this podcast, giving us a five-star rating. It goes a long, long way. This is going to be my guy, Pull Up Tay, on the outro. Make sure you guys are streaming his music. Until next time, folks, see ya. Suave. Suave. I've been in my bag for a while, I'm invincible Story of a young boss, grinding shit get critical Calling on my bros one time, cause you special I had some who dreams of right rounds for my mentor Every target that I shoot is on point like a pencil Different road change relationships, I'm so sorry Came up from the trenches and I made it, I say hardly now- Thank you for listening to Believe You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show And giving us a 5 star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.